So it's important to all of us. It's important to me. It's, uh, I, I hope it's important to you that when I'm preaching on Sunday, that I'm preaching the right gospel. Very important that I'm preaching the same gospel that was preached by Paul, preached by the apostles, and that was preached by Jesus. I mean, you know, just imagine if this whole time I'm preaching, I've been preaching for over 15 years, and all these years I find out I'm preaching a false gospel, not the gospel that Jesus preached, not the gospel that Paul preached, the apostles preached. I mean, that, needless to say, the understatement of the century, that would not be good at all. And, uh, you know, some people have had doubts about the gospel of God's unconditional, unbelievable grace. And, you know, they've said to me, you know, Nate, this whole gospel thing that you're preaching, it almost seems too good to be true that all of my sins are forgiven by just trusting in Jesus, that I don't have to earn salvation. I don't have to accomplish anything. All is done by Jesus, and all I got to do is believe and trust, and God's never going to stop loving me. Now, I mean, as some of you may know from firsthand experience, or if my wife knows, you know, I'm a sinful, fallen, finite human being like everybody else. Uh, everybody has problems. Even pastors have problems. We're all broken, myself included. I have doubts. I have worries, too. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I think that this gospel message sounds too good to be true also. So, you know, this, this first by verse series of Romans has really helped me a lot. And if it helped you, great, you know, but it's helped me to know this is the right gospel because a lot is writing on this, right? That this is the right gospel, because if this is if I'm preaching a false gospel to you when you come on Sunday, that means salvation is on your shoulders. It's not on Jesus's shoulders. And that means I, as a minister of the gospel, I am accursed for preaching a false gospel. Like, well, it's a little heavy-handed there, Nate. Well, it's not my, like, just opinion, man, you know, kind of thing, as they would say from the Big Lebowski. It's not just my opinion, okay? No, this is actually the words of Paul as he describes the gospel and its significance, why it's important that you get it right. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, he says it twice, look at this, twice. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. So, yeah, preaching that gospel that the original apostles preached, that Jesus preached, that Paul preached, evidently, pretty big deal. You can see he says it twice. Our eternal destiny rides on it. And so even if there was an angel from heaven that came to you, gave you a different gospel, contrary to what the original apostles preached, it's, Paul says here, you've got to reject it. Even if an angel, so if someone's doing miracles, you know, healings, whatever it is, angels appearing to you, you know, angelic choruses, whatever it is, and they're not preaching that gospel that, that Paul preached, that the apostles preached, then it says, let, that, let them be accursed. The Greek there, is, uh, it means accursed, you think, okay, what does that mean? Well, the Greek just means, let them be damned to hell. 
pretty intense, right? You're like, oh my goodness. So whether I or anyone else is preaching a different gospel, it is a huge, huge deal. It is a something, it is huge because it has eternal significance. People want to make sure they get the right doctor for whatever, you know, you wouldn't go to like somebody who has not credential to do heart surgery on you. But how much more if we're talking about eternal things and, you know, getting the right gospel message? This, this is more than just physical life. This is eternal life here. So, yeah, we, we know that, that, I would say, I know this gospel is true. This gospel is the right gospel, the gospel of God's unchanging, loving grace, apart from any works. But something I get, and this actually comforts me, something I get is I get this objection after I preach. Sometimes I'm going out to lunch with somebody or I meet somebody afterwards. Or sometimes it just literally happens, like right after I'm preaching a sermon, someone will come up to me afterwards and ask me a question about this gospel. And it... it kind of comforts me. And you're going to be confused, but I'll explain why. They come up to me and say, so Nate, if what you're preaching is true about God's unconditional grace, love, and mercy towards us, then that, what you're, you're just, you're giving people a free pass to sin. That means they can just sin all they want. I can act immoral, wicked, I can lie, cheat, steal, whatever I want to do, have an affair, whatever people, you know, the bad things people do. And you know what? It doesn't matter what I do. Because at the end of the day, God's still going to forgive me no matter what. That's what you're, you're saying. And you might think this is, you know, kind of weird on my part. But when I hear that, it actually validates to me that I'm preaching the correct gospel. It kind of comforts me. You're like, man, how in the world is that proof that you're preaching the right gospel? Well, the reason is, as we'll see in our text, that is the very same objection that the Apostle Paul got. That objection that, oh, well, if God's grace is unlimited, that means I can just send all I want. That's exactly what Paul got, and that's what the Apostles got, and this is an objection. But the flip side is true, that if this gospel preaching is true, and say someone's preaching a different gospel, the false gospel, you know it's a false gospel if that objection could never generate. If after someone hearing you preach the gospel could never say, well, that means I can sin all I want, then that's not the gospel. That's a false gospel. That's how you can know what is the right gospel and what is the wrong gospel. And so we're going to see this more deeply as we go through our verse-by-verse -verse study of Romans 5.20. And we're going to kind of go into Romans 6 all the way to verse 2. So looking at Romans 5.20, now the law came in to increase trespass, increase sin. Trespass is sin. It's an ancient word, but it's a word, just sin, wicked, evilness. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So what's interesting, and this is counterintuitive, but what Paul's point is, and he stresses this, and it's stressed all throughout the Bible, but laws do not make people good in and of themselves. They do not. And it says it here. It says when, when, you, when you put a written law into effect here, when you, when you have it written down on stone tablets or whatever it is, it actually makes people not better, but worse. It increases sin. So the written law of God makes us want to rebel more. That's why we give the illustration of the wet paint sign that illustrates us so well, is that no one goes into a building, like I said last, or the Sunday before that, before Easter, no one goes into a building touching walls. You would never think, but, but when you see a sign, it puts this devious, oh, maybe I shouldn't touch a wall. And that's just a good example of that. Another thing I thought of is, as I'm driving around Draper, speeding, I guess, 
this pastor talks a lot about his drive. This guy's this pastor got a driving problem. Clearly, he always brings up speeding analogies. He's got some sort of an issue. <laughs> no, uh, I just speed like everybody else. I'm just honest about. It. I'm free enough to admit. <laughs> but you know, you're driving, and you know it says 25 miles posted speed limit, and like no one's following it, and you know no one's following it because when somebody actually does go 25 miles an hour, you're like, what's this guy's problem? You know what I'm saying. You've all done it. You're like, whoa, I have to get somewhere, and this person is being so incredibly slow. And then you realize, oh, wait, the speed limit's 25 miles per hour. It's just, they're just following the law, and I should have planned my day better. It's not my problem. I mean, it's, it's, it's not their problem. It's my problem, you know? And so that's just a good example how written rules don't help. I mean, no one follows the 25. I mean, maybe if there's cops around here in a school zone, okay, whatever. But, you know, you're looking both ways when you're going 25. You're like, no one's here. I'm not going 25. And so that's an example. Yeah, the law does not change people. And this is in the Bible over and over and over again. Romans 7, 5, it says, For while we were living in the flesh, our, spirit, our sinful passions aroused by the law. It doesn't make us good. It arouses us. It's aroused by the, our sinful passions. Are. We're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Look again at... Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 56 through 57. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. You might think by reading that the law is bad, but that's not what Paul is getting at. The law is not bad. We are bad in looking at the law. We're, we're evil in our response to the law. Just like, you know, wonder if God never told Adam to eat the forbidden fruit, if he would have, how long it would take him to actually eat it. If God had no laws at all, all God, Adam would never even think to take of that tree, possibly, for a long time at the very least. But the law kind of brings out this sin because we're messed up in many ways. We're fallen, not the law itself. And so I've, I've heard people tell me this, you know, because the, the preaching of the gospel is so free, glorious, and amazing. Say, you know, Nate, you've got you to gotta preach more about morality and those laws. You've got you, you, you to gotta, you gotta tell them people, you've got to you know, scream more, get red-faced, and tell people to do more stuff. You to encourage people to personal holiness. Don't talk about Jesus so much. You know, Christians, we, we already get the gospel. That's for unbelievers. We need to move beyond the gospel and get to laws and how you need to work hard. And so the idea here is we don't, we're going to talk more about the law and less about the gospel, less about Jesus. Maybe not at all or less or barely anything. The problem is when you focus on law, it doesn't bring obedience. But like I said, it brings disobedience. And the law is a standard. You're always failing it. And you know, we all know, if you analyze your thought life for one day, you're constantly not loving the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so you know, I know, we're, we're failing all the time, every minute. And so when you focus on that, what happens? Well, you feel beat down. Like, I'm not doing very good here. I'm keep on messing up. And you see, that's exactly what legalism does. A focus on rules without focusing on grace in Christ, what he's done for us, it just sounds like a bunch of exhausting, overwhelming demands. And then you don't have any motivation to follow it because you're constantly messing up all the time. And so why follow it anyways? Because you already messed up a bunch of times. And then you're like, oh, well, I just, I don't want to feel bad all the time. Especially churches that preach a lot of legalism. You're like, I don't want to feel bad all the time. So... Think I'm going to skip church 
And I'm going to hit the bar. I'm driving down to Vegas and I'm hitting all the bars I guess, so I can forget about how bad I feel all the time, about how I'm not measuring up. You know, you know, you know if you're a teenager, you could especially relate to this. I'm going to hope and pray my parents sleep in. I'm going to sleep in and play video games all day Sunday so I can forget about how I'm constantly messing up, how I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And, you know, you're just like, well, at least I'm making it in this video game. You know, I've got a level 99 character. I'm making the rounds here. I make it in the video game, but I can't make it in real life. So I'm just going to sleep in. And so it makes you want to run away from God, not towards God, because all you're hearing from the church and from the preaching is do, do, do. Do this, do that, you know. And, you know, you can't do enough. Everybody knows you're not good enough. And so you're, you're falling short. So deep down inside, if you focus on the law and its demands, and that's all you're focusing on, then, and you associate that with God, you're going to run away from God. And... Here is a real letter from a real man uh, under, you know, legalistic preaching. This is read by a pastor. He got this letter from, he's a grace preacher, and got this letter from a, a man who's in a church where they're just beating him down with laws and demands. This is his account of getting a diet of law and no gospel. He says, over the last couple of years, we have been really struggling with the preaching in our church as it has been very law-laden and moralistic. After listening week after week, I feel condemned with no power to overcome my lack of ability to obey. Over the last several months, I have found myself very spiritually depressed to the point where I have no desire to even attend church. If you get the very legalistic thing, you don't want to attend church. It's just depressing. Pastors are so concerned about someone preaching too much grace as if that were possible because they wrongly believe that that type of preaching leads to less devotion and loyalty to God. But I can testify that the opposite is actually true, that when only the law is preached, it leads to the realization that I can't follow it, so I might as well as quit trying, at least that is what has what happened to me. And so, yeah, if, if, we, if you think that you need to move beyond the gospel, we move deeper and deeper into the gospel, into God's grace. When we get law, we want to run away from God. We don't want to serve God. And thankfully, as we read our text this morning, we can see Paul is at his fundamental core a preacher of grace and mercy of what Jesus has done to us. He's not writing to atheists or agnostics or unbelievers. He's writing to Christians in the book of Romans. And so we see how a focus on grace is important for Christian growth and running to God, not running away from him. Looking at verses 20 and 21, we see this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. We're going on to verse 21. So that sin reigned in death through Adam. We know that from Romans 5. Grace also might reign through righteousness, through the righteousness of Jesus, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus cancels out the sin and condemnation that Adam brings by his perfect obedience and righteousness and his grace. So you've read this right. If you're reading it carefully, you read this right. It says that no matter how many sins you've committed, God's grace goes beyond that. God's grace matches it and then some. As I, a Christian contemporary song I hear on K-Love, grace that is greater than all our sin. Well, that's not just like a word in a song that some Christian believes. This is, this is rooted foundationally in God's word. That This is true, that grace is greater than all your sins. And that means that when your sins stretches to the mountains, God's grace stretches beyond the skies. By trusting in Jesus this morning and everything he's done for you, 
everything you've done wrong, past, present, and future, everything that you've ever done that you think is so horrible that it could never be forgiven, that it could never be washed away, what the Bible is saying this morning is that God's grace is greater than all of that sin. So even when you fail again and you mess up over and over and over again, God's grace will never outrun for you. It'll keep on going and going. When you exhaust one supply of grace, another there is right there waiting for you. God's grace is unlosable, inexhaustible. You cannot outsin the coverage of God's grace. Now, when you hear that, the first thing you think and what all people think is, well, goodness gracious, I'm, I'm going to party it up, you know? I don't like my neighbor. I'm going to start slashing his tires. Oh, that's oddly specific. I'm just kidding. You don't think that, right? <laughs> don't know. Don't slash your neighbor's tires. That's not good. No. Like, wow, this pastor's got problems talking about speeding and slashing neighbor's tires. What's wrong with this church? No, I mean, you know, people have bad thoughts, right? And you're like, well, I don't really need to control anything I do anymore, you know? Let that sucker loose so I can just do whatever I want, you know? Yell at people on the road, you know, <laughs> another car illustration. So, you know, I mean, you know, just, just let it all loose. If it's just inexhaustible, Nate, if I can't lose my salvation, if God's grace is always there for me, I'm just going to act up and then just send it up, basically. And so, but that's exactly, that is precisely the objection that Paul gets here in Romans 6, 1 through 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So he's, he's answering this objection that I've got numerous times that if you are saved by grace and faith alone, all is already finished and you can do whatever you want. And this is a comfort to me because this is how you know you're getting the right gospel this morning. This is how you know that I am preaching the true gospel is because when I preach it, you're going to have that thought in your mind. I love the way that Dr. Martin Lone Jones puts it. He puts it very well. I mean, it's a longer quote, so we won't have it on the screen. But this is what he says about how you can determine between the true preaching of the gospel and a false gospel. First of all, let me make a comment to, to me, a very important, vital comment. The true preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace alone always leads to the possibility of this charge being brought against it. There is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this. That some people might misunderstand it and misinterpret it to mean that it really amounts to this, that because you are saved by grace alone, it doesn't matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it'll all be re rebounded and redone, all the more of glory of God to more grace and mercy. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation does not expose it to that misunderstanding, then it is not the gospel. And he goes on to explore, kind of explore the, the differences there of how you know a true gospel versus a false one. Because, you know, if someone says, hey, you all have to be really good. Don't argue with your wife. Don't think bad thoughts and jealous thoughts about people that you don't like. Don't, you know, be good all the time. Thought, word, and deed. Be perfect. Strive really hard. You, gotta, you guys got to be worthy enough to make it in. Be really good little girls and boys out there, you know, kind of thing. Be good enough and smart enough and doggone it. People better like you to get into the highest, you know, get, just getting good with God here. When, I, when people say stuff like that, you never think, oh, well, 
Let's go down to Vegas and send it up. You would never, ever have that thought. You'd think like, I got to start working pretty hard now. I'm, I'm not measuring up. I mean, this is kind of depressing about how bad I am. I don't act that way. And so you don't think, okay, well, let's drink and dance and go with the girls that do kind of thing. You never have that thought. You think, I better be so good and so perfect and so wonderful and so unbelievable to God. And you would never get the idea, just send it up all you want. And so that's, that's every legalistic teaching is you would never form this thing that you can sin all you want, that God's grace may abound. But you would get that when you actually hear the, the real McCoy, when you actually hear the gospel. And I love the way that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to explain how you can tell it's a false gospel. If a man preaches justification by works... By striving, doing, and achieving. No one would ever raise this question if a man's preaching is, if you want to be a Christian and if you want to go to heaven, you must stop committing sins. You must take up good works. And if you do so regularly and constantly and do not fail to keep at it, you will make yourselves a Christian. You will reconcile yourself to God and you will go to heaven. Obviously, a man who preaches that and strain would never be liable to the misunderstanding, the one that Paul is talking about. Nobody would ever say to such a man, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because a man's whole emphasis is just this, that if you go on sinning, you are certain to be damned. And only if you stop sinning can you ever save yourself. So that misunderstanding could never arise. So if you're going to a church or, you know, if you're tempted to go to a church that preaches a gospel of work harder, try harder, do more, then that is a church that's harming you. It's a false gospel. And for the sake of your soul, you need to leave that church because you've heard a, not the true gospel, but a false gospel. And it's important that you not hear that because it's going to damage you and make you run away from God. But if you go to a church, and which I hope you hear, right, that you hear this gospel of God's never-ending, amazing, unchanging grace for you, that God's love will never stop for you, then you have heard the true gospel because that objection could arise. And that is the evidence of the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel says... You cannot contribute to your salvation at all. It is a gift. You don't work for a gift. You work for a paycheck and a gift. You just receive it. It's not based on your goodness. It's based on the goodness and obedience of Jesus Christ. So the, the gospel is not only good news, which is what it means, but it also glorifies Christ. It glorifies God. It shows how great God is. Because the gospel says it's all about what God has done for you and not what you have done for God. So that no glory goes to you and all glory goes to Jesus Christ. And that is why the gospel is not only so important but, and beautiful, but it's vital because it shows it's all about Jesus, not about us. The glory goes to God and not to us. And I love the way that the Protestant reformer Martin Luther uh, talks about his defense of salvation by grace and faith alone and how this gospel message brings and magnifies God's greatness, magnifies the glory of God. He says this in his commentary on the epistles of the Galatians. When I first took over the defense of the gospel, I remember what Dr. Stuphitz said to me. And this is one of his colleagues. I like it well, he said, that the doctrine which you proclaim gives glory to God alone and none to man. 
For never can too much glory, goodness, mercy be ascribed unto God. These words of the worthy doctor comforted me and confirmed to me the gospel is true because it deprives men of all their all glory, wisdom, righteousness, and turns over the honor to the creator alone. It is safer to attribute too much glory unto God than unto man. So whether it were the angel, if it were the Michael, the archangel, Gabriel, whatever, proclaims a different gospel and it's a man-centered, try-achieve gospel, is centered on man and his achievement rather than Christ's achievement, then you know by the substance of it that it is a false gospel because it is detracting from the glory of Jesus Christ and magnifying man. And obviously a gospel that detracts from the glory of Jesus is from the enemy. It's from Satan. It's not from God. Because what, what does Satan want to do? Satan wants to detract from the glory of God, from the glory of Jesus Christ. And so any gospel that says, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to work really hard to get yourself into heaven, that's giving glory to man and it's detracting from the glory of God. So it could never be were from me or anybody or even the apostle or Gabriel. It doesn't matter. It's, it's a false gospel by its very substance because the gospel in its nature and the way that it is magnifies and exalts the glory of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so this is how we know the difference between a man-centered gospel and a God-centered gospel. Man-centered gospel, all on your shoulders. God-centered gospel, it's all on God and Christ and His shoulders for you. Now, the objection that you can sit all you want, Paul doesn't agree with it. It's just something that comes up as an objection. But actually, the gospel transforms us. So he goes on to say, in verse 2, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, Paul's denying the objection that grace makes you bad, basically. Paul thinks that what changes people is not the law, but actually grace. So he doesn't, he thinks, well, yeah, if you have really received this grace, if you've died to sin, how can you still actually live in it? How, you know, how can you actually do that? But what does Paul mean by died to sin? Because there's still, I think, a great deal of misunderstanding by this phrase. When you think of someone dying to sin, you could interpret that to mean like, oh, well, I guess they don't sin anymore. They're, they're dead to it. So no more sin. And so, you know, I may have had these past sins, but now I've arrived at a point where I'm dead to sin and I'm not sinning anymore. It's like, yeah, you are. You're lying. So there's that. But yeah, so that's not even a possible interpretation at all because Paul in him, is himself admits in Romans 7 that he as the Apostle Paul. You know, he's kind of a big deal. He's a big enchilada. And he's, a, the, he's an apostle. He saw the risen Lord. He himself presently admits to struggling with sin. The thing we all struggle with every single day, every single minute. Romans 7, 22 to 25, he says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Sounds like my life. Sounds like your life too. And so when Paul talks about being dead to sin, he doesn't mean he's arrived at a state of sinless obedience, sinless perfectionism at all. He's, he does not, that would not be consistent. That's an impossible, impossible interpretation. The Apostle John 
has something far worse to say of someone who thinks that they've arrived, that they've hit the higher plane and they've lived the perfect life. He says, if we have no sin, in the Greek it's present tense, if you're saying right now that you have no sin in your life, you have deceived yourself and the truth is not, not in you and not in us. So he's saying, if you say that, you're, you're basically not, if you think you're sinless, you're, you're definitely not saved because any person is going to realize that they're constantly sinful and they're going to need constant help from the Lord Jesus. So he says, the truth is not in you. Jesus is not in you. And so what he means to die to sin here is that our sinful nature doesn't completely control and dominate us in every respect. Paul is referring to the fact here that the gospel declares us righteous and it frees us from this stuff. It gives us grace and we're declared righteous in Christ. We, we suffer, we, he views us as, as the life of Christ over us and we, we died with Christ on the cross in some sense. And so... Um, meaning that's how God views us. We didn't actually die on the cross. So don't think I'm saying that. You're like, what's he saying? No, I'm saying that God views us through the life of Christ now. And he views us as righteous in Christ. And so we've died to sin in that sense. And so when you come to Jesus in, in your life, that, that helps you fight against sin. There's a fight now. Before, previously in your life, there was a living in sin. There was no fight. It was just sin was dominating. And when Jesus comes into your life and you receive that declaration on high that you are righteous before God, that means that you have now the ability through the Holy Spirit to fight against sin, to battle against sin. Uh, one thing that's a really good, I think, indication of being a believer is that you don't enjoy sin at all to the same degree. It makes you uncomfortable. And if you are uncomfortable in sin, it's pretty hard to live in sin, isn't it? If you're uncomfortable, if you're uncomfortable in something, you don't want to live in that kind of condition. And so that's why he says, he kind of compares, if you die to sin, how can you live in it? Because the, the Christian's posture is to not love sin to the same degree and to be actually to not to actually hate it in a certain sense and to just not be comfortable in it. So you're not going to want to live in it. That's why he says, if you die, do it. How can you live in sin? How can you be totally controlled and utterly dominated by the impulses of the sinful nature? And so now that we have Jesus in our hearts, it's uncomfortable. We can actually now say no to sin. We can resist it. We can overcome it in many cases. And we're not controlled by it anymore. And that's evidence that we've received grace. You cannot live in something you are, you are not comfortable in at all. And so when you receive God's grace, it changes your life. God, that's what grace does. Law does not change people. Grace changes people. And when you get this gift and you realize just deep down in your system how much God loves you in Christ, how much Christ and Jesus loves you, it doesn't make you want to practice sin anymore. It rather makes you want to fight against sin because if you receive grace, you receive the love of God. And if you really do receive it, you, you, you have a deep love of God in your life because God so loved you that he sent his son to die for all of your sins. And this is why I preach the gospel of grace. This is why we emphasize it here. Because you and I have the exact same problem down to our core. We love sin. You say, I don't love sin. Well, yeah, you do. You would, if you didn't, you wouldn't ever do it. So we do love sin on some level. We, there's a fight going on of two loves in us. And so the way to overcome the love of sin in our lives is to replace it with another love. Uh, it's not by shouting at people and saying, you got to do this, you got to do that. That doesn't make you like stop loving sin. 
You know, like, oh, if I still stop it, don't do it. Stop it. Like, that doesn't make you like, well, I, now that you said stop it a bunch of times, I think I love sin less. That doesn't do anything. There's a really funny SNL sketch, uh, Bob Newhart, and this, this, he's a therapist, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, but this lady, lady comes in, and she's like, all right, I got all these psychological problems. She's worried about being buried alive and everything. And he's like, all right, well, this will take five minutes. This is my five-minute therapy. I'm only going to charge $5. She's like, this sounds too good to be true. What's your therapy? And he's like, so tell me your problem. She's like, I'm worried about being buried alive. And he's like, stop it! <laughs> just don't do that. She's like, well, but I, I, my, my child, my past. No, 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 we don't go there. Just stop, stop talking about it. Stop it. So he doesn't want to go to any deeper issue as to why she feels that way. He just tells her over and over and over again to stop it. And we know that's silly. That does not change people. What changes people is the grace and love of God and how much Jesus loves you. And that creates in you a deeper love for Jesus and makes you love sin less. So the way to conquer the love for sin is to replace it with a greater love. That's why it says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Us. And so why I preach the cross of Christ, it, is, it has the power to lessen the love of our sin in our lives. That is how people change. Not by demands and saying in a Bob Newhart sort of fashion, stop it over and over again. But it's to remind you of how much Jesus loved you, that he laid down his life for you. And it's the love of, of Christ that causes us to love sin less. An example of hating the speeding limit, for instance, we don't want to follow the rules. But if I'm in the neighborhood, my own neighborhood, and I, and I see a 25 sign of 25 speed limit there in my neighborhood, I'm going to follow that law because I don't want to run over my kids. I love my kids, and they're, you know, they're running all over the place, running outside. You know, they're hard to keep track of sometimes. You know how it is, little kids. And so I'm going to follow the speed limit. I might even go five miles lower than 25 because I love my kids, not because I love the rules in and of themselves, but I love my kids. And when we, we realize the love that Jesus has for us, that utterly transforms us, changes our life. One more example. Who's here seen Saving Private Ryan? Okay, you just, you get older and you lose track of movies. And you're like, does anybody even see that movie? I think it's like regarded as a classic. In the movie, Saving Private Ryan, they're trying to save Private Ryan. And they all sacrifice their lives for him because all of his other siblings have died and they want to get him back to his family because they've lost all their other sons in the war, if you recall the story. And so the, this band of, of soldiers led by Tom Hanks, basically they sacrifice their entire lives for Private Ryan. And the sacrifice doesn't make him immoral. It was Tom Hanks is dying. He's saying, you know, live a, live a good life. You know, we, we've, we've sacrificed our lives for you. Live this good life. And he asks, as an older man, he comes to uh, the grave of, of the soldier that sacrificed his life. He didn't want to make him immoral or live a bad life. The sacrifice, what it did is rather says, he says to his wife, weeping, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. Because of the men's sacrifice. And so the gospel is far greater than that because God in Christ sacrificed his life, laid down his life for you. And so when you realize the weight of that sacrifice, you don't want to send it up. You want to be like the man in Saving Private Ryan saying, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I've been a good man. It transforms us. That's what grace does. And if you haven't this morning, receive the grace of Jesus for his grace is greater than all your sins. Let's pray.